Yeah, it's a real privilege to be um, speaking to you today. I am by trade an English teacher in secondary schools, um, but I'm also part of the team here at St. Thomas's. And I am um, preaching on adoration prayer this morning. So this is the second sermon in our sermon series on prayer. Um, And most of you will be aware that we've been getting into a routine together of praying a prayer together before we do, uh, before we listen to a preach. And for this sermon series on prayer, we're praying the Lord's Prayer together. So can I invite you to stand and pray with me to start? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. You can take your seats. So today, we are looking at the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we're also going to be looking at a passage in Acts 4, verse 23 to 31. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones with you, you can get that open in front of you now. It's Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. And just before I read it to you, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what's going on at this moment in the Bible, because it's a really, really exciting story. I wish I could preach on it all, but I'm just preaching on that little bit at the end. So in Acts 4, I mean, we're in the book of Acts. So um, Jesus has died. He's He's come back to life, he's resurrected and he's ascended. And now we've got his apostles preaching the word and we're seeing the church grow and grow and grow. And in this story, we've got Peter and John preaching the gospel and God is moving. So we've just seen a lame man, that's a man who can't walk, who's been healed. And we've seen the church grow by 2,000 people. At the last count in Acts 2, it was 3,000. So we're now at 5,000 people who have given their lives to Jesus. But the religious courts are less than pleased. The religious leaders are the people who so recently have just sent Jesus to the cross. And they are not happy that people are listening to Peter and John. So we've got the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the temple guard, which is basically the police, harassing Peter and John as they preach. And actually, they really quickly and suddenly grab Peter and John and throw them into prison. So Peter and John are in prison The crowds are all around the prison, excited and passionate and having just given their lives to Jesus and heard the gospel. And the religious leaders want to disprove what Peter and John have done. And so they, as hostile examiners, go and look at this lame man who's been healed and they can find no fault. But they are not moved by the power of the Lord because of this miracle. It only angers them more in their hearts are hardened against what God is doing. And so they threaten Peter and John again and again, telling them to stop preaching, Jesus, uh, preaching the name of Jesus. And there is this amazing moment, it's in verse eight at the beginning of uh, 
Acts 4, where Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he gets this supernatural boldness and he stands up in front of the religious leaders and he preaches the gospel to them and he preaches the exclusivity of Jesus. He says, there is no way to salvation other than through Jesus Christ. And obviously the religious leaders, they don't think that Jesus is the Messiah. So they are even more angry with him. But remember I said, they're not moved by the power of God through the miracle. They don't have the fear of the Lord. They have fear of man. And so they are swayed by the opinion of the people. That's the crowd surrounding the prison. And they let Peter and John go, not because the Lord has told them to do so, but because they're afraid of what the people will do and they don't wanna be judged by the people. So they let Peter and John go. But before they let Peter and John go, they threaten them again. Look at what we did to Jesus. Look at what we can do to you. Stop preaching like this. And then Peter and John go back to their church and they tell their church everything that's happened, the imprisonment, the threats, the whole lot. And that's where we pick it up in verses 23 to 31. So let's read together now. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. But they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're looking at what the Bible teaches us about prayers of adoration. Last week, James gave us the really refreshing reminder that actually there's no set formula for prayer. We just need to keep it simple. God loves to listen to us pray. He loves to answer our prayers and we don't need to follow a certain style in order for God to listen to us. He's our father who loves us. And there isn't a but following this because that would suggest what I just said isn't true. And it is absolutely true and good that we can pray in any way and God will listen. And though, and if we want to develop a discipline of prayer, so if we want to develop perseverance in prayer and a rich prayer life, then Jesus teaches us through the Lord's Prayer and we see here as well in Acts 4 that starting with prayers of adoration is a really good idea and we're going to be looking at why that's a good idea today. So I'm going to talk about firstly what it means to enjoy God through prayer and worship. 
secondly, how worship and adoration actually shifts our perspective in a really healthy way. And thirdly, the impact that prayers of adoration can have on our lives. So in verse 24, they start their report by giving thanks to the sovereign Lord. So the first thing to note is that when we pray, we're clearly praying to somebody, not at someone or um, about somebody, but to somebody. And who are we praying to? Well, in verse 24, they call him the sovereign Lord. In uh, the Lord's prayer, Jesus calls him our father. So we're praying to our heavenly father who knows us and loves us. And again, James last week gave us a really encouraging message that actually our father is going to listen to us. What father on earth, when his child asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? And how much more so does our heavenly father love to give good gifts to us? And sometimes we desperately need things. We desperately need help. The call on our lives is to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And I'm sure you agree with me that we cannot do that in our own strength. We desperately need the help of the Lord. And so praying for help is a really, really good thing to do. But the thing is, if your prayer life is only ever about praying for help, there's one trap that you can fall into and there's one thing that you're missing out on. And the trap you can fall into is thinking that prayer is just transactional right? You put something in and you get something out. Like you're praying to a bank manager in the sky and you can take out a loan, but you need to pay back with interest. So how many times have we prayed prayers like, do you know what, God, if you give me this, I promise I will go to Sunday every day for the next three months. Or do you know what, God, if you give me this, I promise that I will stop swearing when I'm with my friends or whatever it might be. But actually, that's not how prayer works. Prayer is relational. So we can fall into the trap of thinking that it's transactional. And the second thing is we can miss out on developing something really beautiful. And that is a deep and meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And human relationships work like this too. So Will and I, Will is my husband, he was leading worship just a moment ago. We are godparents to a wonderful two-year-old called Caleb, and we have just over half-term been on the holiday in the Lake District with him and his family. Um, It was a really, really lovely time getting to spend quality time with them after the pandemic. But one of the most precious moments um, of that holiday was really, really early in the morning when the rest of the world was still asleep, Caleb and Will were awake. And Caleb crawled into Will's arms. He'd woken up really early and he whispered for no one else to hear but Will, hey, Will, I really love you. And it melted Will's heart. It ministered to him so much. And this wasn't for anyone else to hear. This wasn't to get something back from Will. This wasn't to impress anyone else in the room. This was simply Caleb enjoying showing Will that he loves him dearly. And then, get this, the next morning, we're in a little bit of a rush because we were heading out, so we're all kind of getting breakfast. And in the middle of all of that sort of chaos, Caleb climbs into Will's arms again. And just for Will, again, he whispers into his ear, hey, Will, I still really love you. 
And it ministered to his heart so much. And it ministered to my heart too, to know that actually this beautiful little boy just adores Will and wants him to know that and finds enjoyment in telling him that. And this is a picture of adoration. Caleb came to his godfather not to get something from him, but just to give his love to him. And in the same way, we can come to our heavenly father, not just to get things from him, and we know that he gives us good gifts, but also just to love him and be with him. So the Book of Common Prayer, which was written in 1662, defines adoration as this. Adoration is the lifting up of the heart and mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. Adoration is the lifting up of the heart and the mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. Adoration prayer is about enjoying our our relationship with God. And the Ten Commandments teach us that actually the greatest command is to love the Lord your God. And we see them doing this immediately in verse 24. When they're in the middle of crisis, because the religious leaders are telling them they need to stop preaching. These are the people who are in charge and along with them, the police are telling them they need to stop what they're doing. Their first thing that they do is they worship God. They rejoice in him and they give thanks to him. And it's one of the most repeated commands in the Bible to worship the Lord our God. And sometimes we can look at that and think, well, hang on a second. Why has God created people just so that they can worship him? Why does he command us to worship him? Isn't that a bit kind of egotistical? What's going on there? But actually, C.S. Lewis, who is the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, absolutely fantastic author, would highly recommend reading him. He says this, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. It's enjoyable to worship the Lord. We just had an amazing time of worship just then. And I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit was moving in me and it was joyful to just be in the presence of God. So being in the presence of God like that brings us joy, it brings us happiness, it brings us thankfulness. And actually, importantly, it also brings us a heavenly perspective. And that brings me to my second point today. So firstly, worship is about enjoying and loving God. And secondly, it shifts our perspective. And we see this in verse 31 in Acts 4. So rather than being intimidated by the leaders and by their threats and by their persecution, actually their prayers of worship through using scripture help them to reorientate their crisis into God's bigger narrative. They say, God, we know that actually you are in control. You've been in control since the very beginning of time itself and you will be in control until we are in heaven ourselves. We know that you are in control. And that shifts their perspective so that instead of being afraid and quieted by what the religious leaders are saying to them, they continue to preach the word of God boldly. So in his teaching on prayer, Pete Gregg, who runs the 24-7 prayer movement, uses a really helpful analogy to describe this shift of perspective. He uses a microscope and a telescope. And we're often looking at our lives 
through a microscope. So we're obsessing over the small details of our lives and what we think and we feel in response to every crisis and also every breakthrough, whether big or small. And I want to be honest with you about my own life here. I am definitely, I will confess, a microscope person naturally. I obsess over details. I'm very detail-orientated. And actually, I know that God has set us free. In Exodus, we hear the story of how his people are set free from slavery under Pharaoh. And through Jesus, we get to join in with that freedom. We are set free from darkness, brought into light, free to worship and devote our lives to the Lord and free to prioritise worship. There's no slave driver over us telling us to work hard so we're too tired to worship. But I sometimes become my own slave owner. I become slave to my own busyness, which I create for myself. And I become slave to my to-do list. And actually, I let my to-do list set the priorities for my life. Well, actually, I haven't got time to read my Bible today because it's just too much to do. And I let my to-do list govern my emotional well-being. I'm just so stressed at the moment from everything that there is to do. And I let my to-do list and my busyness govern my physical health as well. I am just so tired because of everything I've been pushing myself to do. And this has been a journey for me. That's how I am kind of naturally. That's what I always slip back into. But thank you, God, that there is forgiveness for me and that actually God is teaching me on my walk of discipleship with him to prioritise worship in my life over the things that I'm being told or making up that I have to do. But the best way to guard against slipping back into that microscope of obsessing over the minute details is worship. And through worship, we replace that microscope with a telescope, right? We are looking up at the stars. And who looks up at the stars and thinks about how awesome they are? Well, no one, right? You look up at the stars and actually you realise how how small you are and in turn, how great God is, the maker of the universe. We were singing about it earlier. And through the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer, and also in this prayer in Acts 4, we see that we should start prayer with an eternal mindset, with a heavenly attitude. Yes, we do have big problems, but there is an even bigger world out there, and there is an even, even bigger God. We see this in verse 24. They are in the middle of a crisis. They've just been thrown into prison and released. All of the church are being threatened that the same will happen to them if they continue living their lives as they do. But they start with the telescope perspective. Sovereign Lord, verse 24, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. So worship then recontextualizes our crisis, our busyness and our fear and our stress into the context of God's narrative. And we realise beautifully and wonderfully that God is in control. We don't have to be. And when we acknowledge this, it brings a peace that surpasses all understanding and fear and worry and stress. 
And I know that at the moment in our country, we are facing a mental health crisis. I am, I mentioned earlier, a teacher in a secondary school, and this is something that teachers are having to battle every day among our young people. And I don't know what the answer is, and I know that the answer isn't simple. But guys, I also know that worship, this shifting of perspective from microscope to telescope is a really healthy thing to do. Shifting from focusing just on our crisis to focusing actually on the glory and wonder and majesty of our Father in heaven helps us to contextualise our feelings and our dilemmas into a bigger picture. And I don't just mean contextualising them in the picture of other people and comparing ourselves to others, well, I know that my problem isn't as bad as this person. No, I mean recontextualizing your crisis into a story of hope and a story of love. We are part of the story of Jesus Christ, which started before the world even began. We are part of that story and he is guiding us and carrying us through as we journey on. So I've told you that prayer, adoration prayer, brings enjoyment to us and it also shifts our perspective in an amazing way. But let's look at this passage in some detail to see the impact that this prayer has on the lives of God's people. So as I said, it's all kicking off between Peter and John and the religious leaders. They've just done this amazing healing. 2,000 people have given their lives to the Lord and they are being intimidated. The show that the religious leaders are putting on is purely to intimidate them. So Peter and John, they're provincial fishermen. They aren't trained um, in any kind of rabbi teaching. They're not trained in how to actually do this in the way that the Jewish people have been doing it for so many years. On paper, they shouldn't really know what they're doing. But what they do have is that they know their scripture and they know Jesus. So the religious leaders and the police are educated, they're powerful, they've just sent Jesus to the cross and they want to intimidate them. And my first response, if this was me, would be absolutely to cry out for help. And they do do this, but that's not where they start. I think if it was me, if anyone knows me, I am a real stickler for the rules. I'm not very rebellious by nature. And if the police were telling me to stop doing what I'm doing, I would really consider stopping doing it. And if the religious leaders, you know, that's the equivalent of all of our bishops and archbishops in this country coming to me and saying, Mim Johnson, what you're doing right now is wrong. I would be freaking out a little bit, fair to say. And I would be crying out to the Lord for help. And they do that, but they start first by giving thanks and worshipping the Lord for what he's done. And I want to be like that. So their prayer is recorded in Acts 4, verses 24 to 30. And I'm just going to read that to us again. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. So this prayer that I've just read is 137 words long in the English language. And only the last 35 words are them asking for help. So the first 75% of their prayer time was worshipping the Lord before they asked, now Lord, consider their threats. They begin with adoration. And it brings them enjoyment and it shifts their perspective, like I said earlier, so that rather than being intimidated and afraid, they are no longer afraid, but they are empowered and emboldened to preach the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord spreads like wildfire and it started transforming people then and it is still transforming people now. We want to pray prayers like they're praying here in Acts 4. So let's look in more detail at how they're worshipping the Lord. Firstly, they remind themselves of who God is and they tell God who he is. And secondly, they use scripture. So firstly, they begin by declaring that the Lord is God, sovereign Lord. And the word here in Greek is despotes, which actually means a ruler whose power cannot be questioned. So they declare then that yes, we are in crisis, but God is in control. And here on earth, his power cannot be questioned. So his will will be done. And this prayer is reminding themselves of who they are praying to. Last week, James taught us that the Lord's Prayer is not about what we need, but who we need. And we can often forget who God is. Sometimes we can even end up praying to a God of our own imagination, made up of our own ideas. But the disciples had power in prayer because they knew who they prayed to and they used scripture to anchor this. This is a really cool moment because we learn here in verse 25 that the early church had a really high value on scripture. They say, you God spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. They're talking about King David who wrote so many of the Psalms. And then they use Psalm 2 to worship the Lord. So the early church clearly believed that scripture is the word of God himself. Not just about God, not just inspired by God, but it is the word of God. And that's what we declared when I started preaching. I read the Bible to you and I said, this is the word of the Lord. And you replied, thanks be to God. So we believe that the Bible is God speaking to us. And they use this scripture to remind them of who God is. So they're not praying to a God of their own imagination. They're not praying to a God that they've made up whose beliefs and desires align to themselves. No, they're praying to a God that they are realigning themselves to. So they shift their perspective from microscope to telescope. And they do return to microscope. It's not always a bad thing. They return to their crisis and they say, Lord, we really need you. But first, they put their crisis into the context of God's bigger story through this psalm. 
And in verse 27, they take the psalm, they take the scripture of God and they apply it to their own lives. The psalm is about rulers rising up against the Lord and they say, we've literally just seen that happen because Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentile leaders and the people of Israel have all joined together to put Jesus on the cross. So they're applying it to their own lives and they're looking at what their crisis is and they are understanding it and processing it through the word of God. And that's what we should be doing too. So why should we pay attention to this prayer in the first place? It's pretty obvious and it's pretty amazing. It's such a powerful and awesome prayer. In verse 31, this is what happens after they've prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So the whole place was shaken. I'm talking about the walls of their building. That's the dry, dead matter. Even that could not help but respond to the power of the Holy Spirit. And the building was shaking. And then they themselves are filled with the Holy Spirit again. We saw it on Pentecost. We saw what power it had. And they are filled again here with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they are emboldened to speak the word of God. They are given confidence and authority through this prayer. And this word of God is not able to be bound. Peter and John, the servants of the Lord, might be able to be bound and thrown into prison. We it's the same. We might be able to be bound. People might try and stop us talking. But actually, the word of the Lord is unbound. It is unleashed and it spreads and it's transformative and it will change this world for the kingdom advance. So let's pray like this. Now I'm going to invite the band back up. And just as they're coming up, I want to give you a few practical pointers about what you can do to pray prayers of adoration in your prayer life this week. So the first thing is we can use scripture like they did here in Acts 4. And guys, the Psalms is a great place to start because they are ready-made worship poems that we can use. You can speak them over yourselves and use them to express your adoration for God. And second, we can use worship songs that are based in scripture. One of the uh, callings we have here at St. Thomas's is to write and release songs that are really heavily rooted in, in Scripture. So find our St. Thomas's playlist on Spotify. Use those songs to start your prayer each day. Thirdly, we can also give thanks to the Lord. So the church in Acts 4, they give thanks for their situation. They give thanks that Jesus, even though it felt horrible at the time, was sent to the cross because it was the will of God. And we can do the same. We can give thanks for Jesus. We can give thanks for the blessings in our lives, no matter how big or how small. And guys, sometimes that's going to feel a little bit dry. Sometimes our emotions aren't going to be quite there and it's going to take discipline to give those prayers of thanksgiving. But that's okay. We don't need to be governed by our emotions, but actually our love for the Lord should be our priority. And as you give prayers of thanksgiving, as you practice gratitude, I promise you the joy will come. 
And the last thing I want to mention, I mentioned this in my sermon on prayer in our spiritual disciplines, which was back when we were still um, completely online. Pete Gregg uses an acronym, um, P-R-A-Y, pray. And this is not a magic formula for making prayer work and for God answering your prayers. It is just a guide to help you develop a discipline where you are praying really rich prayers, where you're developing your relationship with God, where you're praying powerful prayers like they do here in Acts 4. So the P stands for pause. That's just stopping and putting aside distraction. And the R stands for rejoice. That's worshipping the Lord and giving thanks to him. The A stands for ask, asking God for what you need. And the Y stands for yield. That's saying yes to God and surrendering yourself to his will rather than your own for your life. So we're going to spend some time now worshipping the Lord and responding to what I've said today. Can I invite you to stand? And there are three things that I think the Lord wants to um, pray into, the Lord wants to minister to now. And the first one is there are some of us in the room who know that actually we rely really heavily on the Lord for help, which is right and good, but we want to enjoy the Lord more. Secondly, some of us really feel like we need that shift in perspective. We need to be able to swap that microscope for that telescope and recontextualize what's going on in our lives into the context of what's happening in God's bigger picture. And thirdly, some of us want a fresh filling. Probably all of us want a fresh filling from the Holy Spirit to bring boldness. So I'm going to pray for all three of those things now. And if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit, you can put your hands out just as a sign to God that you are willing, that you are listening, that you are ready. So Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is alive today, that you speak to us and that you love us and care for us. I thank you, God, that you prune us and you shape us. You don't just abandon us and leave us to get on with our own lives, but you speak directly into our situations. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill each of us now. Would you help us to enjoy being in your presence? Would you give us your spirit of joy, God? Would you help us to shift our perspective, to have an eternal mindset and to know that you are in control over everything in our lives? And Holy Spirit, would you give us a supernatural boldness to declare the name of Jesus, to see signs and wonders happening in your name? Empower us, Lord.